In Revelation chapter 3, we have a, another of the churches. And you recall that we've talked about the seven churches of Asia Minor, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. As you read those chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, remember that they were example churches. There were already many, 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 many other churches in the day in which John wrote. But the Lord singled out these seven to say they represent churches that will be like that all through the ages until Jesus comes again. There are churches like those seven right here today in our age. In every age there were churches like that. And then there are ages of the church that are chiefly characterized by those characteristics that are mentioned. For example, the first century, the church at Ephesus had left its first love, and that's what that church had done in that age. Then from 100 to 317, the Smyrna church represented all the suffering and the persecution and the hurt of those ages. We come to the Sardis church. The Sardis church represents that church from 1517 to about 1700. And this is the church that dealt with the Reformation. So many wonderful things happened during the Reformation. The abuses of the Roman church were put off. All of those who were reformers, or at least most of them, had been Roman Catholic priests. And they came to understand the Bible, that they could no longer teach and stand for those abuses. And so Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, nailed his 95 Theses to the door of Wittenberg Church and said, I cannot be a Roman Catholic priest any longer. The thing that precipitated that was the selling of indulgences. We talked a little while ago about Richie's grandfather dying. Well, in those days, when somebody dear to you died, if you would go to the priest and give him some money, he would pray your grandfather or your mother or child or somebody out of purgatory. And that money would go to help build the St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And Martin Luther was over there in Rome climbing up the steps on his knees doing penance when suddenly the verse came to him the just shall live by faith he got up he said Lord I don't have to do this to get forgiveness I can come directly to God through Jesus Christ and that's what he did and he went back to Germany and nailed those 95 theses to the door now that was the beginning of what is called now the Reformation period from about 1500 to 1700. It was a glorious age, and yet in their tremendous concern about truth and the Bible truths and the doctrinal truths, they forgot the soul winning mission of the church. And during that period of time, there were no missionaries. 
There was no mission activity. Now that's the church that is characterized by the Sardis church. Let's read it. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. Now the seven spirits of God are the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And remember that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all one. And so this is another way of presenting the words of Jesus. And the seven stars, those seven stars represent the messengers to the churches. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful. Now that term, be watchful, was specially understood by the Sardian people. Sardis originally, 1500 years before Christ, was a huge church, a huge city built on a great big rock, a thousand feet high. And the city grew and grew and it was impregnable. They had the idea that nobody could ever conquer Sardis. And so they would go down and attack other nations and other people and they'd always win the wars until they came to Cyrus the Persian. And Cyrus came and marched against Sardis and they discovered a way to go up the side of that hill and conquer Sardis on top. And Sardis was never again the same. The reason they were able to do that is because Sardis had determined they were impregnable. They didn't even have to have watchmen. They didn't watch. Nobody could ever get up there and attack that city. They learned differently. And so, with that historical thought in mind, Jesus says to the Sardis church, you know your history about the city. You be watchful. Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. Six things are mentioned here. Be watchful, strengthen things which remain. I have not found thy works perfect. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard. Hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come unto thee. Now, the people of Sardis knew their history, and they knew what that meant. Cyrus came in an hour unexpected and sacked the city. They were never the same again. The Christians in the church in Sardis knew that history. And Jesus is dealing with something they already knew about. He says, you watch, and if you don't, I'll come in an hour that you think not. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Very briefly tonight, I will speak of two things concerning this church. Number one, what does it mean that they were dead? You have a name that you're alive, but you're really dead. Well, there are four things that that means. Number one, the church had lost its communication with heaven. 
That's possible for everybody. They had such well-oiled machinery they could go on a thousand years without consulting God. Sometimes that happens in church life. We think everything's all right. We have our petite orders of service and we have our plans and our schedules and we don't really need God to tell us anything. I don't know whether all of you know this or not, but it takes about two hours of prayerful concern to arrange each order of service for our church. It's not something you just do rotely. Well, we did this, we did this, we did this, so we can do it the same. Everything's a little bit different. We must constantly be in communication with heaven. Lord, what is your will about this? What is your direction about this? What is your will about this particular thing? What is your will about the preaching? What is your will about singing? What is your will? What is your will? What is your will about building? What is your will about a building fund? Jesus said, if you get ready to build a tower, you better count the cost. Find out how much it's going to cost. Be sure that you have that covered, some financial arrangement before you start building the tower. Our church is wise to do that. We need to constantly be in con communion and con communication with heaven. Now, the big chief purpose of the church is to win the lost to Christ. Jesus said to that church, go ye into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. That was the chief marching orders. Well, the Sardis church forgot it. They were very concerned about some doctrine. There was no heresy in this church. If you read carefully, Thyatira had some heresy, Pergamos had some heresy, Ephesus had some heresy, the other churches, but none at Sardis. They were true as a dollar, but they were dead. It's possible to know the Bible backward and forward and be dead as far as Jesus is concerned. I don't mean lost, I'm talking about dead in your movements. I've heard people say, well, to become a soul winner, the big thing you must get the people to do is to study the Bible. I like that. That's wonderful. But I've known people who study the Bible all their lives, and they know all the books. They know outlines of every chapter, but they never try to win anybody to Christ. That's the way the church at Sardis was. You read the Protestant Reformation. Men like Zwingli and John Knox and Calvin and all those men, we are still studying their books of theology. Wonderful, wonderful books. But there's an absence there. There's not much motivation to go and tell. And so during that period of time, from 1500 to 1700, there were no missionaries. There was no soul winning work. And Jesus said to the church at Sardis, you're dead because you've lost communication with heaven. Number two, you've lost concern for those on the outside. You've sort of become a spiritual club within. You're glad to associate with each other, glad to have your little groups together, and you, you like to come, and you enjoy being together, but you've forgotten those on the outside. The reason for our Sunday School campaign this spring is to touch outsiders. 
We're asking every Sunday school teacher to make a list of at least 10 prospects of outsiders. People we need to touch and contact and try to get involved in the work of the Lord. God forbid that we should constantly be just dealing with the same people that come all the time. That's what clubs do. That's what civic clubs do. That's not what the work of the church is. Our church work is to go out after the unsaved. The church at Sardis had forgotten their concern about the outsider. Number three, they had lost their commitment to Jesus. They were committed to doctrine, which is wonderful. Now, I'm a Baptist by conviction. My grandfather was a Methodist. My other grandfather was a Methodist. And my grandmother was a godly, godly Methodist. My dad never joined anything but a Methodist church. He was sprinkled when he was a baby. And when I first started going to church, I went to a Methodist church. I have nothing against the Methodists. I love them. But when I became a Christian, I started reading the Bible. You tell me that children can't read the King James Version of the Bible. I did. And I'm not that smart. I just read it because I didn't have any other translations. I read it and understood it. You can do the same thing. I don't see any need in getting a bunch of different translations. They've got a women's translation, a men's translation. We've got a version for this and a version for that. They've got a neuter Bible and they've got all kinds of things. Just stick with the King James. Read it. Believe it. Use it. Well, I started reading it, and I noticed that people in there were baptized, and they both went down in the water and came up out of the water. And so I, I became a Baptist by, by conviction. I'm a Baptist by conviction now, but I'm not against everybody else. I'm for them. I love them. And we're not trying to make Baptists out of people. We're trying to make Christians out of people. We're trying to seek and to save that which is lost. Go after people everywhere. Try to win them to Jesus Christ. Number four, they've lost the commission. They've lost the great commission. They were dead because they had lost the great commission. And Jesus said, I have somewhat against you. You're dead. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead because you have lost contact with the commission. Now listen, folks, that could happen here. That could happen to our mission at Riverside. That could happen to our bus ministry. That could happen to our Sunday school classes. That could happen to our pulpit. It could happen to all of us. If we get so concerned about the insiders, we forget the outsiders. Every Saturday, the goal of our bus pastors, our bus ministry, is to spend a couple of hours visiting everybody that was here last Sunday, then visiting the absentees, and then find about an hour to visit new people, new areas. And so constantly we're bringing folks in, and many of them get saved. That's what every Sunday school class ought to do. Sometimes we think, well, a bus pastor can make more visits than a Sunday school teacher. Not so. No, no. A Sunday school teacher can make just as many visits as a bus pastor if he'll do it. Every bus pastor we have is a busy person. They're all busy. Always busy. They have big jobs. And they have families. and They have all kinds of things. And yet, every Saturday, 
they go out in the highways and hedges and try to find people, bring them to Jesus. That's what every Sunday school teacher could do. That's what every one of us could do. Go knock on doors. One of the greatest bus captains that I ever heard of was a lady in a wheelchair. And every week she made a hundred visits. Just go wheel herself down, down the street and uh, up on lawns and so on, try to find people. You see, we must not be dead while we're alive. We must not have a name that we're alive and yet be dead as far as the commission is concerned, as far as concern is concerned, as far as reaching out after the others. That was the problem in the Sardis church. No heresy. They believed right. I believe we believe right. <laughs> no heresy. But oh God, help us to not forget those on the outside that need to come on the inside. Now the last part, I want to speak of this promise that was given. Look at it. Verse 4, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. What does it mean to walk in white? Well, through the years, white in the old in the, among the Jews, white meant a celebration of festivity, something to be to celebrate about, and so they'd wear white. And uh, if you would go to Israel today and you'd go down to uh, the Wailing Wall, you'd see some of those young Jews going down in white. They're celebrating their 12th and 13th birthday. And they go through a special ceremony celebrating that. They, they were white. Dr. Robert G. Lee always preached in a white suit. It represented festivity, celebration. And so Jesus said, those that have not defiled themselves, those that are staying alive and trying to reach out after the others, they will have something to celebrate. They'll have something to be festivious about. And then secondly, white celebrated victory. Victory. They will walk with me in white. That means they'll walk in victorious Christian living. There's no victory like being present when somebody gets saved. Nothing in the world like it. You get the best dinner you could think of, of turkey and dressing and cranberry sauce and, and uh, pumpkin pie and ice cream on it and all the others. It doesn't hold a light to being present when somebody gets saved. That's a victory. There's nothing else like it. Many of you have experienced that and you know the joy of it. And Jesus was saying, those <clears throat> that have not dried up <clears throat> and become dead you're going to walk with me in white. And then white celebrated purity. It uh, was a commemoration of purity. <coughs> it meant they were pure, not only in their doctrine, but in their actions for the Lord. It's one thing to be doctrinally right. It's another thing to be in action correct. <coughs> we need both. And then last of all, it was speaking of the resurrection. They will walk with me in white over in the glory. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. You think of leaving here and walking in the mansions of glory where we'll never grow old. 
never grow old. It's a wonderful thrill <clears throat> to know that we're going to a city, a wonderful city where nobody ever gets old, <clears throat> where everybody's content, <clears throat> where everybody's satisfied, <clears throat> and there's joy unspeakable and full of glory. What a victory, what a thrill to look forward to heaven. That's what he's talking about. They're gonna walk with me in white. In 2 Corinthians 5, we know that if the earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Heaven is gonna be a wonderful, wonderful place. And you and I are gonna walk with him there in that city of gold where time doesn't even exist. It's just eon to eon to eon. He that doeth the will of God abideth from eon to eon. That's what the word says. And then in 2 Corinthians 15, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death, death is swallowed up in victory and they shall walk with me in white. Now, folks, let's put our goal toward walking with him in white, not just after we go to heaven, but right here. There's a song we used to sing, <clears throat> this is like heaven to me. Mrs. J.C. Ragland was 95 when she went to heaven, very precious Christian. There's a little tiny picture of her in the bulletin today. Some of you may have recognized that. Ms. Raglan would come to me and sometimes would say, now let's have an old fashioned handshake after church tonight. Let's just tell everybody to come by and shake hands, form a line, shake hands with everybody. And when we'd do that, she'd say, this is like heaven. This is like heaven. Well, heaven is gonna be wonderful. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to enjoy heaven. We can enjoy it right here by snatching somebody as a brand from the burning, bringing them to Jesus, telling them about the Lord, urging them to come, to come. And when they come, they'll not be disappointed. Are you on your way to heaven? Are you sure your name is written over there? And if you are, are you dead? or alive spiritually. Well, you say, I'm not really dead. Well, how alive are you? How alive are you? You know, the live people are the ones who are influencing people to heaven. According to Sardis Church, no heresy. They were not convicted of any immorality but they were dead while they had a name that they were alive because they had forgotten the commission. God grant that that will not happen to us. Individually, corporately, as a church, as a family, as a preacher, as deacons, that we'll never forget that our commission is to go and tell. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you
for the word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. We pray that will help us as we study the word to put into practice and to heed the warnings and to watch lest we fall into those same sloughs of despond that others have found themselves in. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. What's the name of our song? 500, pass me not. 500, pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my plea. While we sing, <clears throat> if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you've never been saved, I want to urge you to come to Christ just like you are. Just step out. The invitation begins, just come. If you've been saved and you're ready to be baptized, why don't you come too during this invitation? Just walk down the aisle. I want to speak to you a moment. If your membership is in another church, you come. And if there's some here tonight who would like to say, I don't want to be dead, I want to be alive. I want to be vib vibrant for the Lord. I want God to use me, and I want to be what God wants me to be. While we sing, will you come for Jesus tonight?